From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to the Datebook Podcast, and welcome, Tony Bravo, for the Robert Pattinson episode. Yes, it was twirific. <laughs> I'm, of course, speaking of Robert Pattinson's role in the film Twilight, not the film he was talking to me about, but who's ever going to forget him as Edward Cullen? Not I. Yeah, and, and also the subject of a day that will live in infamy in San Francisco related to Twilight the great Stonestown, not quite a riot, but... Um, but a near riot, at least. <laughs> it was the Hot Topic Twilight Tour. You heard that correct. Hot Hot Topic, the uh, fashion chain, was hosting the stars of Twilight. They were expecting a few hundred. Something like between three to 4,000 showed up in one young woman fan actually left the Twilight <laughs> signing with a bloody nose. Robert Pattinson and I talked all about that, as well as his new movie, The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse, and there's a lot going on with him. Um, yeah. The new Batman, too, as well. He is the new Batman. We've had some casting news announced for that film now that Ben Affleck has stepped out of the role and away from directing. Uh, it's going to be Matt Reeves making the movie with Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne Batman. And just announced yesterday, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. I am so excited to see both of them in these roles. Excellent. Well, a lot covered here. We have The Lighthouse, Batman, and Stonestown. Stonestown. <laughs> Come on. I mean, like, that's really the highlight for me, talking about the great Stonestown Twilight Near Riot. I mean, that's local history, Peter. <laughs> I can't wait. Datebook Podcast. Thanks for listening. Robert Pattinson, welcome Hello. to Mill Valley. Thank you very much. So it's great to see you looking so well after seeing you in the lighthouse. I was a little concerned uh, for your well-being. It seemed like a very physically engaging, physically challenging performance. Uh, yeah, it was, well, kind of. I, I think I feel kind of worse now than I did then. <laughs> I think there's something about being psychologically prepared for something that you sort of feel fine. I, I just still don't understand to this day how I didn't get sick the entire time, like just being in a... A rain machine and freeze in sub-zero temperatures for months. I don't know. I think it's definitely improved my um, what you call it. God, what do you even call it? Your uh, system, your blah blah blah. Your immune system. Your immune system. There we go. Okay, no buttons. I'm falling apart. Yeah. So you you lost a button on the shirt earlier, but we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was worried you were going to lose a lot more than that after seeing the performance. <laughs> so in this film, this very moody, this very atmospheric film, you exhaust yourself. It looks like you endure pouring rain. You endure the isolation of the lighthouse. Uh, that's the, the title of the film. How did you get into a place where you could portray that type of isolation, that type of potentially insanity? Are you more of a method guy? Did you need to go to some dark places and experience some things to bring that out? Um, I mean, I think that the script was so kind of audacious. I mean, there are moments in I'd never seen anything like it, any other script, and any kind of you realize you had to take a bit of a running jump to kind of even reach any of it. And I, I think I'm attracted to scripts where 
when you first read it, it's very engaging, and you kind of feel like, wow, this has got some kind of totemic uh, qualities. There's something really primal and powerful about it. But I always feel like I don't know how to do it at all. Um, I think it's more fun when you kind of have to. I don't really know what it's what you're drawing, but I don't know. I think the more you looked at that, it was such beautiful writing. The more you just kind of looked at it, the more you read it to yourself, read it out loud. Something just starts. I don't know, kind of baking inside you. And then it's also working, knowing I was working with Willem. And I've, mm-hmm. I've seen the amount of energy that Willem can bring to a performance, so I kind of knew there's going to be an adversarial type of uh, relationship. And so you, you know, if, you, if, you, if you came unprepared, then uh, it would have been quite embarrassing. It seems like not just uh, your relationship as co-stars in this film, but your relationship as characters is all about a certain type of really intimate tension that comes out of that isolated, that two-person setting. Mm. Did you and Willem do any type of exercises or any type of you know, strong bonding to get to a place where you were comfortable enough to do some of these very physically intimate things, too? Um, I mean, we rehearsed for a week. I think like Willem loves rehearsing, and I really, really dislike it, and that's kind of... So, which was kind of handy for our relationship because it was sort of by the end we did I mean it was like five days of rehearsing and I just found it the most incredibly stressful thing in the world and so by the time we were shooting each other there was already this weird tension <laughs> it's the opposite what's supposed to happen from rehearsals normally it's supposed to kind of mm-hmm. get people relaxed with each other but um, yeah it kind of I don't know, it created this strange tension. I mean, I love him. I think he's, and he's such a lovely, personable guy, but there was this strange energy. I think it's just kind of, you didn't really need to do bonding stuff, and I think it's just so, it's, it's so high intensity, all the, all the scenes they have between each other, that it's almost better just kind of waiting, only really allowing that energy to kind of have an electricity between the two, between us um, when you're shooting. Otherwise, it's kind of, you sort of wasted it. What did you do personally to get into the physicality of this character? I read your Esquire interview recently. Mm. Um, do you want to elaborate on any of the points that were brought up in that? Or did you I, very... Whenever I read stuff, I'm just like, wow, I just come across as a psychopath. Like, I just... <laughs> I read the article and I'm like, I did say these things, but now they look really weird. Well, really one now. of the things you said uh, was that you ate mud to be a part I of I did this. eat a lot of mud. I did, like, there's a lot of... I do that on quite a few different movies. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think that comes from Gladiator having such a big effect on me when I was a kid. There's one scene where he's going about to go into the, the uh, arena and he picks up the sand and rubs it between his fingers. And like, I always used to do that before scenes when I first started when I was a teenager. But I add a little bit to it. I just eat it afterwards. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, yeah, I did that. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things, it's kind of like, there's so many scenes where, because Robert Eggers loves to shoot in one take, and so there's kind of, the scenes are like, some of them are seven, eight minutes long, and you need to be like psyched to do it. So it's, it's, kind of, it's almost going into a, like a, a boxing ring or something, mm-hmm. um, especially when it's, we're both, it's so much energy expenditure. Um, and I think it's kind of, 
I don't know, it really did. It's, it's nice, because you, you don't normally... You don't normally... It's very difficult to get an equivalent for that in a movie where you just kind of... Where it's re- you have to go all out. I mean, it's 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 if you're maxing out your energy supplies, and so it's kind of I don't know. There's a sort of strange reverse meditation where you kind of just invoke some kind of like massive amount of rage inside you. Um, but yeah, I kind of. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I mean, it's weird. I was reading the article. It kind of make it sort of makes out that I was drunk in it, and like. I thought about getting drunk for this, the drunk stuff, but it's absolutely impossible to get drunk in any of these right. things. Especially not on kerosene, we hope. <laughs> I know, I was like, I said, do people actually drink kerosene? I mean, that's crazy. Um, yeah, and so it was kind of, I think it was really just a question of just trying to block out absolutely everything else that's going on in your life. There's a, 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 there's a lot of stuff, I was, I was isolating myself quite a lot, which isn't particularly difficult in Nova Scotia. I mean, you can literally just walk down to the ocean and there's not a soul around um, but yeah a lot of just a lot of adrenalizing yourself I wanted to ask there's so much ambiguity with um, what's real and what might be a drunken hallucination mm. what might be the uh, madness of isolation uh, without giving too much away about some of those elements I'm curious for you as an actor did you need to decide whether or not Things were hallucinations, or whether things were things you were real, you were really experiencing that your character was really experiencing. I'm thinking about um, sort of the third character that shows up in this movie. I don't want to mm. give away too much, though. Um, no, not really. I mean, it's kind of it's. I remember asking Robert quite a lot at the time, but I think I I it was one pretty crucial conversation I had with Robert just before we even started where. I, kind of, I was in Toronto doing the costume fitting, and I was like, what, how did you come up with this? And he was just like, I don't know, dude. I mean, it just... <laughs> I mean, it's kind of... I don't know where it's come from. And I think that was... That's kind of what... I, I wanted to keep that energy, because it's that's the most interesting energy, when you have an, a crazy dream, and it's... The dreams when it, you kind of realize, oh, that's related to that thing that happened to me and this worry and blah, blah, blah. It's always like, ah, blah. You don't want to define it. But when you have a dream which is like, Jesus, who am I? Like, what is my subconscious? Like, that's always the best. And so it's kind of, I think, when you try and, uh, when you try and define the crazy aspects of it, it's completely pointless. It's like, if it feels good, then you just go with it. And uh, a lot of it, I understood it on a level that, I would not on a cerebral level, almost a kind of, I guess, an emotional level or something. But um, it's funny. I mean, so much of it, I just thought this is just really funny, even the really crazy bits. And there's like, and because it's funny, I, my body obviously understands it, but I don't know. I wouldn't be able to tell you like why it's funny or something, or why I kind of knew what to do. It's like there's just something in which understood it. The physicality of this movie um, really does go back and forth between some of this high drama and tragedy. And there are moments that I actually did laugh out loud, in mm-hmm. spite of this being a very moody, very atmospheric film. Um, is it any different playing those moments? Um, I'm thinking about the moment where you're trying to dump something into the ocean in particular <laughs> and the wind kind of changes directions. Do you, um, do you approach that any differently when there's an element of humor in it? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... I guess I'm one of those people who thinks something if something can only be truly funny if it hurts 
quite a lot. It's like, <laughs> I think everything can only be real if it hurts. Like a compliment. I was talking about this the other day. If you compliment someone, it has to cause you some real pain to be a true compliment. <laughs> and like, and uh, I think, uh, yeah, the, the thing I'm <laughs> throwing, throwing a fecal matter in my face <laughs> like that was actually that was probably the hardest scene in the entire movie I mean that was and also terrifying the cliff which I'm on is I mean it was on the side of a cliff in gale force winds and it was pouring rain and I couldn't really see anything <laughs> it was kind of I mean that was one of the more terrifying things I've ever done in my life but it's kind of fun like to do something which is it's, it's only funny uh for the people watching like that's always kind of it's kind of but to the person it's just hell on earth uh, like yeah. if you laugh at your own joke it kind of loses the, the punchline for the audience yeah, yeah definitely so, I'm curious if uh, the director's previous film The Witch um, was a reference point for you and if that was at all part of what interested you in this project it's another film that um, kind of falls between genres in some mm. ways like this movie does mm. I mean, uh, yeah, The Witch I thought was just, it's just really stunning. I mean, it's kind of, it's, Robert makes movies that just really stand, they just really stand alone, they're very singular. And uh, I think it's, you know, when there's so, there's so much material coming out all the time, it's very difficult for something, A, to stand out, and B, to work so well um, in and of itself. Um, but his production design and everything, I mean, he just has, just the level of detail, it's just, I don't really know other filmmakers who are really doing anything like that. And also doing, having that kind of level of detail and also be pretty entertaining and not, like his movies aren't like hard watches really, they're, they're kind of, you know, like The Witch is a really, really scary movie, but at the same time like a masterwork of production design and the writing's amazing. Um, and I think with Lighthouse as well, I remember reading it the first time just thinking it actually moves really quick the script and you kind of don't really understand how it's so funny and everything because of the dialect and it's, it seems so impenetrable on, on one level and then so it's kind of pretty accessible on another level whenever I see audience watching it and everyone's laughing and kind of I mean I was just absolutely the first time I saw it I was like I, I was genuinely I, I guess I'd really underestimated the audience. <laughs> so, like, and everyone like gets all the jokes and stuff. They get more jokes than I can get. I get it. Did, did you think that they were going to skew more on the side of horror or um, shock at some of it? Was the la was the laughter surprising for that reason? I, I mean, I I thought it skewed a lot more art house. Like when I watched it, and then when I just saw it the first time, it can and people, I just. I mean, people were like rolling around laughing, and I was like, "Wow!" I mean, it's, I mean, it's been pretty consistent afterwards um, with everybody just kind of. I mean, it's it's. I think it's a kind of sensory experience. It's so different to other movies, that's, and it's so kind of audacious in its stylistic choices. I think people really, it's quite sort of thrilling to people the fact that it's just so different. Like, I think I think that's why it's working. So I wanted to ask you about another trip you took to the Bay Area 11 years ago. Mm. It was at the height of the first Twilight movie. Um, this is a trip to the Stonestown Mall in yeah. San Francisco that you took. They were anticipating a few hundred people. I think they got something like three to 4,000 people there that day. Really? There was a bit of a mob situation. Do you have any memories from that? I do. I remember the girl getting her nose broken 
and it was on because they tried to close it down. That was my, I think that was my first promotional thing for any of the Twilight stuff when I was going to the Hot Topic store in the mall. Appropriately, that was, yeah, that was we were doing a Hot Topic tour. Uh, yeah, that was that was a big deal to me, and they almost yeah they almost shut down the whole thing, and then um, yeah I just remember seeing the girl on the news. I just love Twilight so much. Blood coming out of her nostrils. It was just like, I mean, spectacular. You couldn't have paid for better promotion. A Mm. lot of your film choices since then have been, um, I want to say, more intimate movies. Mm. Um, Movies that don't have the big kind of franchise Mm. quality to them that Twilight had. Was that intentional? Did you want to step back from that type of intense fandomonium and fan reaction? No, I mean, I've always just kind of, I mean, really when people, if you sort of look at interviews I was doing about Twilight, I mean, I've always seen the weird in everything. And like, I mean, basically up until Twilight, I kind of was just doing the job. I would audition for everything and those are the jobs I was getting. But when I did get a job, I'd try and, I'd try and look for the most eccentric parts of it as possible. Um, and then I guess when you get the option of... Uh, you have more of an option of picking what direction uh, you want to go in with the jobs you choose. I guess my eccentricities become a little bit more exaggerated. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but at the same time, it's like, yes, even now, doing like bigger movies and it's sort of, I want to find the weird parts to it. There's something, I guess, it, it's just more fun to, to play parts like that. I mean, I'm not, I always say like, if, if some actors who want to play heroes all the time are just hiding, like, terrifying skeletons in their closet like the whole point in acting is like you have a safety net to be a weirdo in a movie so you don't have to be a weirdo in your real life you have given me a very good opening to ask about a decision you've made recently Uh, you're stepping into a big franchise again possibly Uh, the role you're taking the iconic role of Batman Um, were, were there any hesitations because it would be that type of sort of twilight Blockbuster, big, re- big fan reaction, type of situation. Yeah, I mean the part's like it's a great part, and uh, and um, I don't know. I think when you're older, it does feel a little bit different. I mean, maybe I'm speaking too soon, but I mean, I, I think once you've already kind of dealt with it a little bit, I'm better at navigating it. Uh, I think. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not completely up for bed. What's that eccentric thing that, or is there something eccentric that you're already thinking about for that upcoming role? Um, I mean, I've only really just started kind of thinking about it, but I, I think you know, just the part in and of itself, I mean, even the, the most basic conception of the part is, is pretty eccentric, dude. <laughs> I mean, the, whole, the whole concept of the story is pretty wild. Robert Pattinson, thank you for being with us today. Congratulations on The Lighthouse. Thank you so much. Cheers. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Tony Bravo and his guest, Robert Pattinson. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producer is King Kaufman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. Editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is Midnight Special by Ease Jammy Jams. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. 
Chronicle Podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.